Hello, mortgage fans. Um, so we're back for another market update. And this week, I have a guest with me, Mr. Jerome Fick. How are you, sir? Yeah, very well. It's Friday, so very well. Thank you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you love your work that much that you're looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> so it was always an encouraging start. Um, but for today, the reason why I've got uh, Jerome in, he's been, um, been doing mortgages quite a while now, been with us certainly quite a long while as well. Um, and one of your specialisms, I would certainly say, is helping clients with more complex incomes. Um, and I'm sure we'll explore this um, as we go through today. So what we're going to do is we'll, we'll probably just have a, a little conversation around what a complex income is, because one of the ironies is people don't often know until they come to get a mortgage. Um, Jerome's then got a case study he's going to talk through quite specifically to bring this to life a bit. And then we'll finish up with the most commonly asked questions in this area. So if anything we talk through today uh, sort of resonates with you, I'd certainly suggest getting contact and uh, we'll be able to help. So on that note, um, Jerome, um, if I throw it over to you then, should we give a little bit of your background, um, you know, what you've done um, broking wise and before that, um, and then we'll have a little talk about sort of what complex incomes are. Yeah, um, yeah, good morning. Uh, I think as Richard mentioned, been with Rose Capital a while, uh, joined in 2015, I believe it was. Um, before that, I was with Barclays uh, doing in-house mortgages for customers there. Started with them back in 2007-2008. So I've been doing mortgages for quite some time now. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good. And humble as ever. You can tell that from the, the South African nature. Far too humble, Jerome. <laughs> you do do a spectacular job, actually. Um, so that's great background. So that brings us then nicely into sort of complex income then. So I think for anyone listening, probably worth probably just touching on like what is a complex income, which is a very broad sort of header. So if you're talking to a client, what sort of things sort of flag to you as, all right, this is going to be a little bit more complicated? Yeah, I think, um, as you mentioned at the start, people don't often know that their income is complex until they have a chat with a mortgage advisor. Um, I mean, you obviously know what your income is and you are very familiar with how you are paid and how your yeah, what, what the structure is. But once you start speaking with a broker, um, you might find that it's not always as common. Um, I think anything outside of just having a base salary could sometimes be considered as complex income, uh, commissions, uh, annual bonuses, um, people that are working on contracts, uh, people that are earning, perhaps not being paid in sterling, um, people whose income may come from uh, an investment portfolio, uh, property portfolio, uh, self-employed applicants as well. Um, directors of companies can quite often pay themselves in very uh, interesting ways. Um, so yeah, I think really anything outside of just having a base salary can be considered as being complex. That's a brilliant definition. Um, and I think many people just won't be aware of that. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, so someone goes, oh, I get a nice big bonus. And actually, weirdly, not all banks take that into account. I mean, funnily enough, we, we've talked about that quite a lot um, on here. So there's other, so if, if, for example, if you do get a bonus, please do look at previous videos. We talk about that in great detail. And I think particularly touching on self-employed, I mean, that is a huge realm within itself because you can be a limited company, you could be an LLP, you could be a sole trader. Um, you might have a certain percentage of a business which pushes you into self-employed and people don't understand that and just so you know it's if you own over 25 percent of the shares in your business you're probably going to be treated as self-employed so um I, I think your definition is brilliant you know unless you're just looking to use a basic salary it's probably a bit more complex so i think far more people are going to be caught up in this world than they might realize so um so that's a really good definition thank you um and to bring that to life um i believe you've got a specific case study um you want to talk through so do you want to sort of go through the details of that um and then we can have again sort of talk through that a bit more detail 
Yes, so a client came to me uh, coming to the end of his mortgage deal, so we were looking to remortgage. A uh, client was working in the IT industry. Um, he had his own limited company, um, and then he had a few guys obviously working with him in the limited company. Uh, they would get contracted out to other uh, companies to help with the IT infrastructure uh, at that company. But uh, the way he was being paid was actually on a day rate contract. Uh, day rate contracts are sometimes very common in, in the IT industry. But then also all of uh, the guys working with him um, would get their own day rate contract. Now, um, a lot of banks would consider him to be self-employed, which yet yeah, technically he is. He's got 100% shareholder in a limited company. So if he was to walk into quite a, a number of banks, they would consider him to be self-employed and they would ask to see uh, the limited company trading accounts, uh, his tax returns, tax year overviews, etc. Um, but as I said, yeah, uh, company directors quite often, uh, for tax reasons, don't pay themselves uh, as, or they just pay themselves as much as what they need. And when it comes to getting a mortgage, then that can sometimes be uh, a, a tricky. So the, the, the idea here was to use a lender that would consider looking at his day rate contract. Uh, there are lenders that would do that and they do have a, a very simple approach. They would take your day rate times five uh, and then times 46 weeks or 48 weeks and that then would just simply be your annual income but as i said not not all banks do that uh, there's only a small number of lenders that would use the day rate contract uh, the added complexity to uh, this particular case as well was that the client's uh, income or his day rate was not in sterling but uh, it was paid in euros um, and if you look at the high street uh, nine nine out of ten lenders only use sterling income not all lenders unfortunately would use euros dollars etc so the trick here was to try and find a lender that not only use this day rate contract but also the euro uh, aspect of that particular contract uh, luckily enough we were able to find uh, a lender that was uh, able to help um, and happy to say that, yeah, the case went in, the case was offered um, and then also completed. So very happy with that. Well, there's complicated and there's complicated. <laughs> so there's a number of things going on there. Like say non, yeah. So non-sterling income in itself is complicated. Uh, I think you said that nine out of banks just don't accept it. Um, I think your definition around the, the, the IT contractor industry particularly is, is a great one. I mean, contractors as a whole has been a big boom area in the last few years, which has really been exacerbated through, through COVID really. So a lot of people are working on fixed term contracts. And in my own experience, I think if you were to take, your, for example, your net profit or your dividends out of the business, that probably only get you a fraction of the borrowing capacity, whereas actually you just take the day rate contract. I mean, you can literally double or treble the amount you can borrow. It's not a small difference. It, it's yeah. massively, massively different. Uh, IT contractors were the first industry to go this way, really, weren't they? They're sort of the high profile one. But I'll say anyone who works on a contract now, um, you know, the simple way around it is using the day rate, not the, the limited company accounts. So I, I think that's a really, really good definition. Um, so Again, I, I just think it's a brilliant example, but it's quite complicated. So, you know, people people sort of having to pay a premium. What sort of terms did you get the client for that deal in, in particular? No, the, the rate is no different. Uh, the rate was simply determined by the percentage of equity in, a, in, in the property. So 
it made no difference whether he was on a normal base salary or the contract, uh, the interest rate was exactly the same. Um, it was a 60% loan to value deal, so the client had 40% or more equity in the property, uh, and it was a five-year fixed at 1.63%. Yeah, also very happy to get that locked in for him uh, very early because uh, interest rates have unfortunately gone up since then. Um, and if I was to do the same deal for him today, it would be above 1.7% now for that deal. Brilliant. Yeah. And again, probably a separate conversation is, I mean, mortgage rates are going up literally week on week at the moment. So I think banks are very much sort of pricing in future base rate rises before they even happen. So that's a that's a big topic for another day. Um, but to go back on this, and again, I think you've you've explained it brilliantly there. I think most, many people sort of misunderstand that banks simply lend or don't lend. There's no... finding the right lender for the client that's the skill because once you find the right lender then you get normal high street terms it, so you, you know if your income is complicated and this is phenomenally complicated you're not paying a big premium for it and I, th I think that's a brilliant brilliant message to get across which many people don't understand uh, to this day it's like clients are like, oh what they're going to they don't charge you extra it's just like it's yes no they'll lend to you or they don't yeah exactly yeah like i said the the interest rate is purely determined by the the equity or your deposit and then what, what the income around that is or, or the, the factors around the income makes absolutely no difference. Cool. So there we go. So no matter how complicated the situation, the skill of the broker is finding the right bank. That's the thing. Because you go down the high street, you know, if they're looking at limited company accounts, etc., you wouldn't get close to, to what you got to there. So that's, that's really, really cool. So just to sort of finish up then. So um, I've looked looked up sort of the most commonly asked questions in this area. Um, some of them we may or may not have touched on. So we'll just go, I think the first two questions we could probably combine. So the first two questions were, how do I get a mortgage with inconsistent income? And can you get a mortgage with irregular income? So what would you say to that, Jerome? Um, I would say yes, you can, but again, it, it'll just be a case of you know uh, finding the right bank for your particular type of income. Um, so, but when it comes to irregular income, lenders are maybe more likely to ask for a track record. So, if it's income commission, for example, um, and which can at times be irregular, especially just going through COVID. Um, uh, bonus income, commission income was very irregular. So lenders might ask for a, a longer track record, maybe give us a couple of P60s to to, to evidence that um, where banks maybe in the past have asked for three payslips to show commissions, they might now ask to see uh, six payslips. Um, also, when it comes to annual bonuses, if, if applicants uh, are maybe changing jobs, um, Banks will maybe ask to see uh, bonuses from the previous company and then also maybe uh, ask to see a bonus being received with the uh, the new employer. So, yeah, in short, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But um, uh, we, we will just maybe need to evidence uh, a, a proven track record of, of the income. Yeah, I, I, that's spot on. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think the, as you said, the, the key thing is the track record. Um, and I think if your income is irregular, and that could be whether you're employed or self-employed, it's not unusual, particularly with the last few years, um, banks often take something like a two-year average. So if you want to sort of take a, a just sort of a takeaway, if we average your income over the last two years, that's probably what banks would use if it's been inconsistent. Um, then it depends on how much you want to borrow, because some banks will take 50% of the variable, some take 100%. Yeah. That's when you get down to the real specifics. But if you want a finger in the air, average income over the last two years times it by about five, that's probably what you can get to, I would suggest. Mm. Um, 
the next question is what is a multiple salary mortgage so i think maybe perhaps what that alludes to is you know can you get a mortgage if you've got multiple sources of income uh yeah yes you can um, and that is again something that we see a lot of um uh, uh clients might have some self-employed income in the background uh some extra work that they do um so again it's just you know putting it with the right lender same old story putting it with the best lender uh but secondary income some lenders might again just decide to use uh, 50 percent or 60 percent of that income because it's not your main income so yes they will use it but um, it's just going to be a question of how much of it that they'll use, because not all lenders will use 100% of a, a second a second income. Yeah. So, so again, you answered that very well, but I think it's very simple. I mean, banks will take multiple sources of income. It just depends what proportions where it comes from. But mm -hmm. yeah, don't be put off if you do have multiple sources of income. Not a problem. And, and as Jerome says, it's all about finding the right bank, really. Mm -hmm. um, so last question then is what income can be used to qualify for a mortgage? There's probably quite a short answer to that. But um, what, what's your take on that, Jerome? <laughs> I think for the most part, uh, income that can be proven and income that you pay tax on. Um, most lenders would want to see that you pay tax on your income, so they would want to see your P60s, your tax returns, um, even if the income is coming from an investment maybe, uh, or dividends from a company, um, they would still want to see the tax returns. But um, yeah, any income that uh, can, can be shown or proven uh, can be considered to, to be used by a lender. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head then. It's very simple. It's what can you prove and what do you pay tax on? That's the quality. It's as simple as that, that one. So if there's cash going through the books or, I don't know, maybe you're planning a trip to Colombia or something, you know, that's like, that's not going to work. But, you know, so, and, and I'm sort of joking, but the, the sort of the proving the tax bit is is the tricky bit. And I think particularly when you get into the complex area with company owners, particularly sometimes they don't understand things like director's loans aren't included. Vesting stock schedules sometimes aren't included. So not to say you can't do it, but they're sort of the challenges that you face. Yeah. So cool. I think that sort of wraps up very nicely. I think something you've alluded to fantastically well is it's just not about finding the best rate. It's about finding the best bank, but you don't get penalised as such. Um, but I think you've explained that really well. So thanks for your time, Jerome. Um, we'll wrap that up and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yes, thank you very much. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye. Thanks.